Hello, Collect Call listeners. This is Brendan, and I am here with an apology. This episode is posting about a week late, and my excuse is that I was moving, which is a pretty good excuse, actually. But anyway, I'm just sorry to have left our listeners in the lurch. The second item is that in this episode, you're going to hear a pretty abrupt shift in the sound quality. The good news is that it will go from uh, poorer sound quality to better sound quality. Uh, We had some issues with some mics at the beginning of the episode, so we are relying on our backup audio from YouTube, which is not quite as crisp as what we're accustomed to. Anyway, uh, we appreciate your patience and enjoy the show. Welcome everyone to the Call at Call. This podcast is an offering of the Acts 8 moment, proclaiming resurrection in the Episcopal Church. My name is Holly Powell. I'm a layperson and a member of Christ Church Cathedral in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Brendan O'Sullivan Hale, and I am also a layperson, and I'm a member of the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we are pleased to have with us a uh, special guest star. Uh, Derek, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Derek Olson, and I'm also a layperson, and yeah. I attend the Church of uh, St. Bartholomew's Ten Hills here in Baltimore. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for being with us. And Derek, uh, you are the subject of one of our most popular episodes ever, uh, your interview with us about holy women, holy men, and a great cloud of witnesses and all that stuff uh, attracted uh, quite a bit of, of attention. So we're uh, glad you decided to be back with us for a regular format episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Well, this podcast is about the intersection of liturgy and life, as seen through the lens of the Collects in the Book of Common Prayer. Now, Collect is kind of a funny-sounding word, but actually it's just another word for prayer, and it's spelled like collect, as in, you might collect alien abduction memoirs, including experience, memoirs of an abducted childhood, Hmm. the dual soul connection, the alien agenda for human advancement, and... Communion, a true story. <laughs> there you are go. The, are the word is the word true in quotes? It it, it is not. Um, is the I, word story in quotes? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to read you an excerpt from the blurb for Experience Memoirs of an Abducted Childhood. So this is from its listing on Amazon. Then, on November 29, 1989, she found herself face-to-face with an alien in her apartment and realized this kind of event had happened before. Even worse, she realized that a boy she knew growing up had probably been killed when an abduction experience went wrong and that aliens can make mistakes, sometimes <gasps> deadly mistakes. dun 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 <laughs> Probably been killed by aliens is not. Um, <laughs> uh, now I'm a true crime aficionado, and I would have to tell you that's not a one that I've heard before. No, no, no. Uh-uh. That genre might have been more appropriate for next week's prayer about the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. <laughs> oh no, we've got a collection for that one too. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but speaking of communion, our Collect tonight is one of the ones for various occasions, and it is the Collect of the Holy Eucharist. It is indeed, but before we get there, I believe Brendan has something to retract. Uh, 
Yeah, I do. Retraction, retraction. I call it call retraction. The web demands satisfaction. It's time for another retraction. So, in our last week's episode of the Holy Angels, I believe I subjected you to my singing twice, and for that I apologize, but that is not actually what I'm retracting. What I'm retracting is that the second time I sang, I was giving you an excerpt from the song Lily on the Kate Bush album The Red Shoes, which, if I remember correctly, was released in 1993 or maybe 94. Anyway, in that song... Uh, Kate Bush name checks the four archangels and so as I was singing the lyric which I will not do uh, at, at this moment I accidentally referred to Raphael as Ariel uh, like the Little Mermaid uh, so anyway uh, so Raphael I'm sorry for leaving you out as I uh, as I try to enumerate the archangels um, I hope that you do not strike me down that is my retraction Now, here, I'm about to go real deep into some nerdery, so get pumped. I can understand your confusion, because Ariel has red hair, and of course, any true Turtles fan would know that Raphael is the the red bandana turtle. So How I can you... see the, the red-red connection. Uh, okay, I'm going to go with that. Okay. That's, that's totally what Brendan was thinking. I know, yeah. I could tell. And, and it was like the Kate Bush, the red shoes, like it was all right. a red yeah. thing. Yeah, it I was got a red it. conglomeration. No, yeah. totally understandable. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I, I do apologize for my error, but um, but it could have happened to anyone, really. It, it really could have. <laughs> I think it's time to pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Derek, would you like to, to read this week's call it? Sure. God, our Father whose Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in a wonderful sacrament, has left us a memorial of his passion. Grant so to venerate the sacred mysteries of his body and blood, that we may ever perceive within ourselves the fruit of his redemption, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. 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 I'm going to start just real quick with a bit of the history of this prayer, because okay. it's it sort of goes hand in hand with how I react to it. Uh -huh. uh, I, I don't really have a problem with the prayer much at all, but it is one that was written by Thomas Aquinas for the Corpus Christi liturgy back in, what, the 1200s, is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in any event, and it has been just slightly uh, modified in, in this version. The struggle I have with this is the struggle I have with Corpus Christi generally, that we're having a Holy Eucharist to celebrate the Holy Eucharist, and it never quite feels liturgically satisfying to me. I find this observance appropriate but confusing, and I, I kind of feel the same way uh, about this collect. 
Well, sort of to, to come back at you, though, the way I would say it is I like having a Corpus Christi because um, what I really don't like is a Maundy Thursday that is taken up with white vestments and the Gloria and uh, a sort of a, a triumphal procession of this Eucharist because to me that it doesn't it doesn't cohere with seeing Triduum, you know, the, the three holy days there as a unity. Um, and so I like having the opportunity to have another day separate to sort of ponder the means of grace, uh, th- that particular means of grace that the church has been given. I guess I've never been to a Corpus Christi Mass that made me think, wow, I really feel like we celebrated the Eucharist in an extraordinary way there. And maybe, maybe that's not the point. Mm-hmm. I I am aware that long, long ago, uh, my parish used to parade around the block with the host in a monstrance um, Mm -hmm. under a canopy, which, you know, if we did that, that that might that might do it. Yeah, I've I've done that before. And it's it's quite enjoyable. Like by yourself? Uh, No, no, no. With with a a congregation. Okay. Yeah. Because otherwise you're that guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and and that's not to say because I haven't done it that I'm not that guy. Right. But I haven't proven it in that way. Right. Sure. Sure. I can honestly say as a fairly low church person, um, I, I've never been to a Corpus Christi Mass, so I I have no idea how it's different from a normal one. But Yeah, I guess at my parish now, uh the prayers are different. Like, you know, we use this one. And that's kind of it. We probably sing Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. I wasn't yes. there. Mm-hmm. I was uh, out of town this year, so I, I observed it in um, at All Saints San Francisco. When is it? It's on a Thursday after Easter. Pentecost. Hmm. Pentecost. So is that why in the book of Common Prayer, on page 252, where this collect can be found, it says that this prayer is especially suitable to be prayed on Thursdays? Is that is that the reason why? Actually, I'd say it's it's both of them have a common source. Before that, um, Thursday was often set aside for celebrations, celebrating specifically the Holy Eucharist. Um, so, back in in the medieval early medieval times, they would do a fair number of votive masses. So basically, the idea here is you can only do the mass of the day once. And so then uh-huh. you've got all these priests in a, com- in a liturgical community. They all have to say Masses too, but they can't repeat that one Mass. So instead, there were, there were lots of other Masses for other things. And so there was sort of a weekly cycle. So Trinity was always celebrated on Sunday. Thursday was the Holy Eucharist. Friday was the Holy Cross. Uh, Saturday was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of varied locally. So uh, Holy Spirit, uh, All Angels, All Saints uh, were fairly common choices for those. So Thursday got connected with the Eucharist because the, you know, Monday, Thursday happens on a Thursday. Uh, then the votives. And so when they came up with Corpus Christi and they set it on a date, they picked a Thursday. Hmm. Well, all right then. And so actually, if, if you notice, when you look in your Book of, book of Common Prayer in the uh, Propers for Various Occasions... Actually, we sort of have that old votive sequence matched out there. So our first various occasion is of the Holy Trinity, then of the Holy Spirit, then of the Holy Angels, of the Incarnation. So that's our our Sunday through Wednesday, and then of the Holy Eucharist is for Thursday, 
Holy Cross for Fridays, and then we do For All Baptized Christians here on Saturday. Hmm. So we actually talked about this cycle a little bit in our episode on the Collect for All the Baptized uh, a couple months ago, linking the sacrament of baptism to Jesus' time in the tomb. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. So what do we think about the, the Collect itself? Personally, I really like it. This is one of my favorite Collects. Yeah. One of the episodes uh, a few ago, you were talking about prayers that people pray multiple times or, or, or prayers prayed uh, before or after worship. Well, this is one of those prayers that I always use. So I, I do the, the prayer before worship and the prayer after worship because, you know, that, that's sort of my own personal getting myself ready and then sort of sort of getting myself out of that space. This is one of these prayers that I always use after receiving Eucharist as, as a point for meditation and, uh, and just, just sinking, living with that for a little bit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and actually, despite my misgivings uh, about Corpus Christi, I I agree that this is a pretty great prayer, although it has a couple uh, of things in it that I want to get back to that I, I, I just have questions about. The the part that, that speaks to, to me particularly, and I think, Holly, you, you had noted this in the show notes as well, is that we are asking not only to venerate the sacred mysteries of the body and blood, but also to perceive within ourselves the fruit of Christ's redemption. And that perception of God working within us is is pretty great. What I love about this is that it's not only praying for those two things, but it's in fact a a cycle Mm -hmm. that in venerating the sacred mystery, which I I don't know if any non-Catholic person has ever said that out loud before, the act of that, according to this collect, will lead to perceiving God's redemption at work in ourselves. Yeah, it, it helps us tune our perception. So b- being in the presence of the holy in that time and in that way gives us a better understanding of, of how to perceive the holy, not only within the sacraments, uh, but then when we encounter instances of, of God's grace and wonder outside of the sacraments and, and outside of the church itself. Mm, yeah. Well, that's perfect. Yeah. So as I was kind of reading this collect closely, there were a, a couple of things stuck out to me. Uh, so first was that we call the Eucharist a wonderful sacrament. Which, it is a wonderful sacrament. Well, it is a wonderful sacrament, but it just... It's my personal favorite. <laughs> well, it just stood out to me because it's... What, what do we use the word wonderful to mean? I, this is very much kind of an old school use of the term, not wonderful in terms of you know, how the weather today is wonderful or something like that, but really wondrous or amazing. Uh, and we actually have come across this term before and talked about it in the Christmas 2 episode where David Simmons uh, convincingly imitated you, Holly. Ah, uh, um, yes. I was but, like, I don't remember that at all. And now <laughs> I know why. <laughs> so, but it's the, uh, from the Latin uh, mirabili, uh, which can be translated amazing, marvelous, astonishing, uh, or curious. Yeah, I think it's wonderful in the literal sense, full of wonder. And I guess the, the reason I react to it uh, differently is that I'm more accustomed to hearing wonderful uh, in its, you know, more everyday sense uh, of, mm-hmm. you know, some of these adjectives uh, that have, uh, that used to carry more weight and now are cheapened, for lack of a better word. One of the things I like about this and the, the way that the language shows up is that I think we get a nice balance because one of the things that we've historically not done is define closely how we as Anglicans um, understand the sacraments, um, particularly the Eucharist. And so I, th- I think it's, it's got a nice little balance of a memorial of his passion, 
uh, versus um, sacred mysteries of his body and blood, that we've got both of those things together sort of interacting with one another. I, I really like the, the way that it, it's balanced instead of sort of hammering one way or the other. Oh, actually, I thought that was really interesting because Holly made a remark in the notes about this being a really Anglo-Catholic prayer. And then when I first looked at it, I kind of pushed back uh, speaking about that memorial language. And I assumed that that was a Protestant insertion. Uh, it's not. Uh, that's no, there in the original Latin. Right. To me, I, I call this an Anglo-Catholic prayer just because of, it, to me, it it's really that phrase, venerate the sacred mysteries, that that feels like, oh gosh, I used to know these, that the different mysteries that you pray on the rosary. Mm, yeah. That's the language that kind of stuck out to me. I don't think that this prayer gets into any kind of issues of like transubstantiation or anything like that. I just think it's the act of venerating, which which is another word for worshiping or, or observing with great reverence and awe, the Eucharist. It, it's a pretty Catholic, con- Roman Catholic concept, I think. Well, I, I would say it's a Catholic concept because uh, venerate is often used as a technical term. So it's different from worship. It's different from adoration. To venerate is to give something honor. This is something that is appropriate for created beings and created things. So, for instance, we honor the sacrament. We honor the saints. We're not worshiping them because that would be idolatry. And so, you know, one of the classic questions around the Eucharist and various forms of showing the Eucharist honor, the classic argument is, is this idolatry or not? Is this a created item? Once it's been consecrated, is it still created? Uh, and mm-hmm. to what degree is it created? To what degree is it is it Jesus? Um, and therefore worthy of worship. Um, and again, venerate venerate doesn't answer it for us. It lets us know that that we are we are giving it honor in a particular way. So, can I tell you a story that sort of touches on that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so it looked like we were going to spend a fair amount of time discussing the question of communion without baptism in the House of Deputies before the House of mm. Bishops just shut the whole thing down and it may, never made it to the House of Deputies. Right. And just to be very clear, I, I do fall on the more traditional side of that debate. And I, I don't know where you all fall, but I'll, I'll let you kind of state that as, as you wish to. There's a reason I have a hard time getting really worked up uh, about this question, and that's because when I was preparing for baptism in the Episcopal Church, I attended a few churches for a while, and so there were two that I was uh, attending every Sunday. I would go to the 8 o'clock at Trinity Episcopal Church, and I would go to the 10 o'clock at the Center for University Ministry. And so at Trinity, as I was uh, preparing for baptism, they were quite clear that I was not to receive communion uh, until I was baptized, but I was being taught what the church believed about communion. And so I was learning about the real presence and how, uh, as you've liked to say, Holly, before, that the Episcopal Church doesn't believe in transubstantiation, but we don't not believe in it either. Right. Then I would go to the Center for University Ministry, and so I was perfectly fine not taking communion there. I knew what was going on, and I understood why. But at the Center for University Ministry, uh, we would have communion, I think, once a month, if I remember right, and we always used Hawaiian king bread for that purpose. Yes! <laughs> uh, that was a pretty small congregation, and we used a whole loaf, so there was typically some left over. And I learned that what was happening uh, with the leftovers was that they were just being thrown away after church. And 
so this I, I completely I didn't know what to do with that so what I ended up doing was that I was not taking communion at the Episcopal Church but because of what I was learning about communion at the Episcopal Church at the Center for University Ministry, I was staying after church on communion Sundays and eating the entire loaf of Hawaiian king bread. <laughs> I, that sounds very familiar. I, actually, um, when I was in seminary, I, I went to Emory, which is Methodist, and we would frequently use breads of various sorts, and, and there would usually be a certain amount left. And so often the Episcopal students would, would sort of gather in the sacristy to, uh, to reverently consume what was left. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I've, I've written uh, quite a, a number of things around the whole communion without baptism. I'm personally not for it. I, I think that there's really reason why we have a, sort of a, a sacramental path to discipleship that really begins in baptism and then is nurtured by the Eucharist. I, I knew that, Derek, because today... When I was trying to read some more about communion without baptism, thinking we might talk about it, and I Googled it, you were the first person that came up. <laughs> wow. There you go. Yeah. That's pretty cool. A, a cafe article you wrote back in 2011, in fact. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I was reading this article going, huh, that's interesting. And then it was like, by Derek Olson. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, I mean, as in most things, I... I tend to uh, differ with that opinion. I, I don't have a problem with communion without baptism. I don't think it's the, like, I don't have a problem without with not doing it either. But as a person who was baptized as a child, I don't know. I just, I have always been able to be included in communion mm -hmm. because of my baptism as a child. Um, I have been in other churches where I was not welcome at the table even though I was baptized as a Christian mm -hmm. uh, because I was not a part of that particular faith or denomination and that felt wrong to me in a lot of ways that mm -hmm. that was God's table and anyone who wanted to be a part of God's table should be a part of it that kind of formed my belief on communion without baptism. But One of the issues that I have with it is that it's predominantly people who were baptized as children who are then not giving people an option when they come in. So, um, you know, th there's a choice. There's always a choice. We can go up to the table. We can not go up to the table. If we go up to the table, we can choose to receive. We can choose to not receive. And I feel like if we're only told, no, come to the table and receive, um, that we're sort of uh, stripping our visitors of, of their own agency to, to even know that there's a choice to make. Hmm, that's interesting. The first Episcopal church I went to, I guess, was, was stealthily doing this by saying that the rector would very intentionally state prior to the Eucharist beginning, all who desire a closer presence with God are welcome at this table. And so it still was a choice, and there were plenty of times I didn't receive communion, but um, but I didn't feel like it was excluding people simply because of of that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I did read the article, uh, Derek, that you posted a week or two ago. I was right. being disingenuous when I said I didn't know how you felt about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think the point uh, that you made about uh, the roles of host and guest mm. was really important. 
if we decide that requiring baptism to receive communion is part of our theology and what whatever we're practicing or not practicing that that is what are supposed to be doing today according right. to our um, canons or constitution rather is it constitutional it's in the canons canons okay but i think derek your point uh, is well made there are ways to be welcoming part of my frustration is that i i sometimes think that what is causing some of the passion around this topic has to do with viewing it as a potential solution to the problem of numerical decline. Yes. Oh, ew. And and I don't want to attribute motivations that are, I'm sure people, I know for a fact uh, that there are people who have other motivations, but I think the reason that this is a big issue in the church has to do with that. Yeah, a- anxiety, I, th- I think, is part of it. And two, as, as I wrote in, in that piece you're referencing, I don't think we have done a good job as a church of talking about our practices of hospitality and how we act in a hospitable way. It's one thing to welcome everyone to the table in the nave and then give them a cold shoulder at the table in the, uh, in the fellowship hall, coffee hour. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a very complicated issue. It is very complicated. And, you know, I can... I can feel myself like hearing you guys talk about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that. I, I agree. And then <laughs> a few minutes later, I'm like, no, wait, no, I don't agree. But I think I think regardless of where you stand on it, I think we could probably all agree that the Episcopal Church, at least, needs to really better line out its theology. <laughs> well, right. And so one of the reasons that I actually was disappointed in the action that the House of Bishops uh, took or declined to take on the Communion Without Baptism resolution was that that resolution actually had a very misleading title. Um, I believe it said something like, invite all to receive communion or something like that. But what the resolution actually was to do a study of these questions. And I think a study actually could have been pretty helpful on this uh, because we are clearly a church uh, that is confused about these issues. And Mm -hmm. while I I guess the bishops decided that this is really a settled issue, uh, I I think we did miss an opportunity, even speaking as one on kind of the traditional side of this issue, to more clearly articulate why our teaching on this is what it is. And, and maybe that doesn't need to be dealt with with the resolution. I, you know, I, I'm sure. hopeful that some bishops will do some good, good educational work on this that hopefully people will read, but who knows? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, how do you think, and we're going way, off, way far afield here, so, you know, <laughs> just edit this out if you need to. But, <laughs> but how does the Episcopal Church writ large communicate thoughts on this issue? Like, like you're saying, I wish there had been some education or, or maybe some bishops will write some good things. Well, how do people learn about that? You know, how do they find out? Well, um, one solution that I know is, is to, uh, to write blog posts about it and to, uh, to get conversations going. You know, we don't need a resolution to get this stuff going. We just need people talking about it. Yeah. yeah. So our, our legions of listeners now. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, we'll have more because Derek's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so going back to the collect for a sec, there is one thing that I think is strange. As we mentioned early on, this collect is just a barely revised version of Thomas Aquinas' original. 
But the thing that is revised is that the original version of the collect is addressed to the second person of the Trinity, that is, to Jesus. And when it was revised for the 79 prayer book, it was switched to be addressed to God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Why? Are there any well, collects in the in the BCP that that do address Jesus directly? Uh, yes, there I, are. I don't remember them offhand, but I do know that there are. And also, this collect referring to the second person, I believe, shows up in the South African prayer book, and I don't remember what the Scottish prayer book did with it. But there are, there are some variations of this, some variants of this floating around the Anglican Communion that, I, if I recall correctly, we, you may have to retract this, but I, I, <laughs> if I remember right, I think there are some that are also, that are still addressed to Jesus. Well, and in fact, uh, there's one of those floating around in this prayer book, because if you go back to the prayer for after receiving communion on page 834, uh, the version that addresses this uh, same collect to the Son is preserved there. Okay, so we still don't know why, though. No. I mean, I I am not doubting you at all, Derek, but I don't think that you and I, Brendan, have ever talked about one of the collects in the Book of Common Prayer that is addressed directly to Jesus. I think they're all through Jesus Christ who lives and reigns. I don't know. I think we have. And, and so one prayer that is occurring to me off the top of my head, although it is not technically a collect, uh, is the one from evening prayer, Lord Jesus, stay with us for evening is at hand and the day is past, etc. Uh, and similar to that is the morning prayer collect. Or, oh, it, it, again, it's a prayer for mission, not technically a collect, but the uh, Lord Jesus Christ who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hardwood of the cross. Similarly, mm-hmm. refers to Jesus. Right, I agree with that, but I guess the collects of the of the week that we have been talking about, the Sunday collects, I don't recall any of them being. But then, of course, this one isn't that, so I don't know why. I, I'm going to go through our back catalog, Holly, and I am pretty sure I'm going to make you retract this. That's cool. I love <laughs> That's retractions. <a> well, <laughs> I don't know the answer, um, is what I'm saying. And, and so, therefore, I'm arguing a point that isn't a point. Okay, and, and, and Derek know. doesn't know the answer? And if Derek doesn't I know... I do not know the answer. Wow. And Marion Hatchet doesn't say why either. And he was involved. This is a real disappointment. Hatchet <laughs> has let us down for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, listeners, if you have any insights on this, uh, please reach out to us on Twitter, uh, at the Collect Call, and give us your theory uh, about why the person of the Trinity was changed. And speaking of Twitter... Is it time for the Twitter challenge? I believe it is. Derek, would you like to participate in the Twitter challenge this week? Sure. I'll try the Twitter challenge. Holly, you want to go first? first? I can go first. All right. All right. Summary of Collect. The Holy Eucharist is awesome. No, really. Like, worthy of all. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Hashtag Holy Eucharist. (laughs) (laughs) Derek, you have the choice of middle or last. Oh, I'll, I'll take middle. Okay. All right. Experience Christ's redemption from the inside out. Hashtag Holy Eucharist. Hashtag the collect call. Awesome. Nice. Mine. Hawaiian kingbread bearing the fruit of redemption. 
that is a sacred mystery. Hashtag Holy Eucharist. Mm. You're making me hungry, dude. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoy this show, please share it with a friend or write a review on iTunes. It'll help people find us. And you might want to check out the other shows in the Via Media Collective, a network of podcasts with an Anglican sensibility. Find out more at viamediacollective.org or on Twitter at vmcollective. And while you're on Twitter, you can find us at The College Call or you can email us at thecollectcall.com at acts8moment.org and you can find our collection of insert quote here true <laughs> stories of alien abduction at um, pinterest at pinterest.com slash the call it call our parent organization is the acts 8 moment uh, online at acts8moment.org or on facebook and twitter at acts 8 moment and derek thanks so much for being with us where can our listeners Yay. find you uh, you can find me uh, online at uh, saintbeadproductions.com and that has links to my Twitter feed which is at Hallywork and links to the St. Beads Breviary and some of the other stuff that I do. Great. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much and hopefully you will join us for another episode. I would love to. Our music is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence by Aaron DeVries which is distributed under a Creative Commons license and you can find more of Aaron's music at badgerland.bandcamp.com and join us next week where we'll be talking about the collect for St. Mary the Virgin, which we told you we were talking about last week, but we didn't because we're bad at reading calendars. See you then! Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly-minded For with blessing in his hand Christ our God to earth descended Our full homage to demand Technical difficulties (laughs) I do very much like your headphones, by the way. Why, thank you very much. I stole them from one of my daughters. (laughs) 